The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after hours action. FedEx, Micron, and recent IPO Stitch Fix. All reporting earnings just moments ago. We'll bring you the very latest details, tell you which names or traders might be buying. Plus, so-called crypto stock Riot Blockchain is soaring today, but we warned you right here on this show, buyer beware. And now famed short seller Andrew Left is targeting the company. He'll join us to tell us what just doesn't add up about this suddenly hot stock and why he says retail traders are making a horrendous mistake. And a Bitcoin bust, well, kind of, sharp selling in the last hour. The cryptocurrency now down about $2,000, briefly below $17,000. We'll be tracking on the Bitcoin bug on your screen you see there via Coinbase throughout this hour. But first, we start with the tax cuts that uh, Wall Street has been waiting for. And despite a slight delay, with the House having to vote once again, the uh, tax cuts are close to becoming a reality. It was big tech leading the market lower today. The Nasdaq 100, the biggest decliner, with Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google all sinking. So will big tech be the big loser when it comes to the seemingly imminent tax bill? Pete Nigerian, what do you oh. say? Um, I don't know necessarily if they'll be the loser, but I, but I do think that there are winners coming out of this. I think the big tech, you've had a big run. I mean, whether it's Microsoft or Apple or Facebook or you name it, and it doesn't help that we actually had some downgrades and some folks that are actually talking a little bit more bearish, even though it wasn't necessarily a downgrade, but a name like Facebook today. So it's understandable that some of the tech is pulling back to me. You also had Intel that was screaming to the upside. So uh, is tech going to get actually slammed because of this? I don't think so. They will probably be affected, certainly, well, but not as affected as those that actually have one play real the high risk. Issue with big tech right here is that yes, they're the ones that are going to get uh, benefit from the repatriation at fifteen and a half, you know, fifteen and a half or which so percent, which is a huge percent. number. Except for the fact that the companies have. that we're talking about are going to have higher tax rates on the billions of dollars that they're accumulating overseas. These are areas where they're actually expected to have a lot of growth going forward. So you know, as you model it going forward, now I, I know a lot of analysts who actually had higher models for when this mo uh, money was going to be coming back. But at the end of the day, you think about it, you have this tax holiday, but a lot of the growth for these big cap techs is coming from overseas, and it's going to be at 21%. Well, I, I mean, to me, I, I just, you know, I look at Facebook. We brought this up. I mean, it's a poster child for a lot of things that could be difficult for the tech sector, including Facebook, which had its wrist slapped again in Europe by the German cartel yeah. office. The, France have been, the French have been all over them. They're arguably going to run into trouble here. So uh, abusive, you know, position in terms of market data and strategy. So uh, if you look at how it's trading technically has not been above the 200 for, for a few weeks has not been above the 50. I mean, this has been a, a stock that's frankly been lost technically in addition to the fundamentals that are, are very, very good. 
but to be clear, lots in the price. And we had Pete mention the Apple downgrade today from mm -hmm. Nomura, knocking the price target down to 175, saying, you know what, the seasonality in fiscal 2Q, it's too great. It's not, there's not going to be enough out of tax. There's not going to be enough out of the iPhone 10 in order to offset that seasonal decline of about 25%. We've seen Apple downgrades before yeah. over the last few years. I mean, day or two it works, it works. And day or two it has an effect on the price. And then within a week or so, we're right back to where we were, if not higher again. My, my sense is that's what happens here in Apple. But in terms of tech and how you trade it and are there winners and losers, Micron is a great example. Micron had a great earnings call a uh, month and a half, two <laughs> months ago. Stock went from 38 to 50. Retraced the whole way back down to 38. December 1st, we were here on the show. I think you were away that night. Brian was here, but we talked about the risk-reward in Micron sets up extraordinarily well. We backfilled the entire move that we just saw over the last month. Today, they report earnings. Why do I mention it? Because operating margins, to me, in my opinion, it's what's really important for Micron. They beat by about 3% on operating margins. means NAND pricing is still intact. means the stock is still probably cheap. So are there opportunities in tech? Absolutely, yes. So why do we see the underperformance? I mean, we were talking about potentially people taking gains for well, the year. Well, I, I think I think there is rotation, uh -huh. um, and I think you have a, a very clear dynamic for domestics, whether it's staples, whether it's consumer discretionary, whether you know I've said this overnight, and Altria, which is a stock people gave up on three months ago when there was some pressure from the FDA in terms of once again their cigarette business. But um, businesses that have a 39% effective task rate, let's be really clear, uh, they are the big big winners, and and analysts are now upgrading, and that's what's going on. I mean, you. you back to the tech world, I mean, look at Google. There's nothing wrong with that chart. That chart is, is and that, that company has been outperforming. They had great numbers, and it's not been trading like Facebook. It's not been trading like Apple. Um, so I, I think you can't lump everybody in the same place. No, and the rotation probably yeah. based on some of what you're talking about in the tax bill. I mean, look at Home Depot. Look at the last month and the last three months. Look at Disney, month and three months. Look at many of those names. Caterpillar, today, some of the leaders of the day-to-day Look at where their taxes were and potentially where they could go to if this thing ever gets all the way through, and you get to 21% from 35%, 33%, wherever some of these names are. Yeah. That could be huge, and that's why I think the last three, four days, Boeing's another one, three, four days, we've started to see some of those names lifting, 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 52-week right. highs almost across the board. So if you're a tech investor, you're in tech right now, big cap tech, let's say NDX, NASDAQ 100, Do you ha should you have a slight preference now that the tax bill looks all but passed? Uh, to these sectors and to these names that have higher corporate tax rates. I actually don't think so because I think a lot of things that drove, let's say the top five stocks in the NASDAQ 100 make up almost 50% of the weight. Right. We know what they are. They're Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft. I think all the fundamental reasons why those stocks are up 30 to 50% of the year are probably, uh, you know, they're even more effective in a lower tax environment next year. Okay, so that being said, all those stocks are within a few percent of their all-time highs. So at the end of the day, I think what tech investors or growth investors want to see, even while you've had this rotation into some value and to some cyclicals, you want to see a pullback. We need to see a pullback. It's the sort of thing that will make everybody feel better about reloading on some of these stories. If we close on the exact highs of 2017 as we head into 2018, I just don't think that's the sort of situation where people are going to feel great about reloading for 2018 at all-time highs. So come on, people. Can we just have a 3 5 6% pullback here? And I think a no, lot of we're people not will feel better about <laughs> We're not allowed. Okay, I mean, that hasn't happened in a long time. But I, I want to extend on what Dan's saying 
thing. I mean, think about where we are. We've got we've got essentially the White House now and, and Washington throwing all kinds of stuff at a market that's already had corporate profits be at record levels. We've never been this efficient. We have unemployment probably at a cyclical low. Um, you've got a, an, an enormous amount of central bank headwinds coming. So in other words, things are as good as they, they can get, and yet we're throwing more gas on the fire right now when I'm not even sure that we need it. So expectations are now so, so outsized, especially in the small business world, that I think it renders some caution because I think that the, the callous ahead, even though we know corporations are priced um, without a 21% effective tax rate. Um, but, but I do think that once you get through this, I think it could be very challenging ahead. Are you taking profits? A little bit, a little bit. Uh, Doing some upside calls for my option guys on the nice. side of me. Nice. Selling them against lawns. Let's be specific here. Thank yeah. you. Or Someone, stock someone, stock or stock stock look, I was on options action on Friday, Dan. I mean, I'm back in the game here. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there are there are names and there are places where you should be doing that. Um, Google is not a place where I'm taking profit. As much as I love Home Depot, and I talk about it all the time, just I actually trimmed some today. And I just trimmed some today. Why? Just because I felt like it was the disciplined thing to do. This stock went from 165 to 185 in what seems like a heartbeat. So why not take a little bit off the table? I did that today. Disney's a different animal. I've stuck with that one because I don't know that the deal potentially with what they get from Fox is all priced in yet. It's just off the 52-week highs. I think it goes through those 52-week highs. Quickly, what would you trim here? We always talk about what would you buy Not just here. your tree, by the way. Dan scared me. Trimming is important as well. You know, it's important. <laughs> uh, if you haven't done that yet, folks, I encourage you to a do it. Trimming is what? Tree? <laughs> <laughs> a tree. Even for no, your... No, this your... is what I learned. If, you're, if you have a live Christmas tree... No, seriously, this yes, is a yes, PSA. Yes. No, we're not short on time. Yes. Put boiling hot water into the bottom of it because it releases the sap. And sugar. Breaks up and the sugar. Sap. Which sugar? tree will suck that water right up. That's number <laughs> really? one. Really? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm honest I've already God. had my tree for like two weeks. Can I still do that? Well, I believe so. You should Give it a shot. Add sugar to the Anyway, what was your trip? me the other day about Adobe. He said, you know what? I talked about being long Adobe in their earnings. If you like Amazon, you got to like Adobe. But you know what? He scared me. I've been looking at it recently. And maybe Dan's on to something. Maybe it has run too fast, too far, too fast. So maybe ADBE is worth trimming into their earnings. So, yes, thank you, Dan, for enlightening maybe. me. Maybe it is. Speaking of taxes, we've got a news alert. The latest poll on the popularity of the tax cut plan is out. Let's get to John Harwood for all the details. Hi, John. Hi, Melissa. You know, you guys were talking about what sectors are going to lose from this tax bill and which ones are going to win. We looks like from the polling in our new NBC Wall Street Journal survey that Republicans are the losers so far. Take a look at these numbers on the tax cut. They're not good. When you ask, uh, is it a good idea or a bad idea? 24% say this bill is a good idea. 41% bad idea. The rest don't really have an opinion. Uh, the second thing is, who's going to benefit from this tax cut? Whose tax cut is it? By 63 to 7%, Americans say it is a tax cut for corporations and the wealthy, not for the middle class. Those are staggering numbers, and that helps explain why on this question, who, which party's better on handling taxes? Democrats were behind by four points in June in our NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Now they're ahead by four points. The exact same thing happened on which party is better at dealing with the economy. So uh, Republicans have achieved a legislative and policy victory. Uh, this is something they believe in deeply. But right now, voters aren't in a position to reward them. Of course, we'll see what happens once it's implemented uh, and whether people feel differently when they check their withholdings and see what the broader state of the economy is. Yep. Uh, John, thank you. John Harwood in D.C. So how is the world's largest asset manager preparing portfolios for tax cuts? Let's, let's ask. Here now is Terry Simpson, BlackRock's multi-asset investment strategist. Terry, welcome. Happy holidays. Um, obviously, there's a healthy dose of skepticism, according to the latest NBC News uh, Wall Street <coughs> Journal poll. But 
part of that is that 35 percent of those polled had no opinion, which would imply that they could be swayed either way. Um, what's your opinion on how it'll affect one's portfolio? Yeah, so we've been looking at this tax reform. We've been trying to think about it, obviously thinking about it from the financial market perspective versus the real economy side. I think there's no doubt that it's probably definitely going to ben benefit the markets. But on the real economy, I think some of those numbers that John talked about, why people are so skeptical on it, is because we just don't feel like the evidence of economic history is going to point to higher investment. It's going to point to higher wages. And ultimately, that will actually have a negative detriment on the market after a while. So, I mean, it appears like this tax cut is probably more of like a Trojan horse. Well, it'll benefit investors. But at the end, um, maybe long run, it'll hurt more of the economy over the long run. And that's there, what we're worried about. There is a notion that the kinds of investors that will benefit are investors in certain kinds of companies, namely the ones with the highest uh, corporate tax rates right now, names like retail, banking, uh, cyclicals. Would you agree with that? And are you adjusting your portfolio to match with that? So we like the tax reform. It's definitely going to benefit certain sectors. And you've seen, I heard you earlier, you guys were talking about the rotation. The rotation has happened. So you look at financials up about 10% over the last uh, three months or so. Telecom as well, another smaller sector as well, benefiting from obviously the tax reform packages. But we do get worried about basically if investors are rushing in too much of this. Now, I will tell you from the aggregate perspective, though, estimates for 2018 earnings are still below where they were after the election. So some of this is priced in. The rotation has happened, but not all of it's actually priced in. It's interesting, Terry. We've been talking about the flattening yield curve over the last couple of months, and we've had people on that said it's not a big deal. Now, we've all of a sudden, in the last week or so, we've seen the yield curve now go back the other way in a significant way. What's better in your world for, for equities at this point, a flattening yield curve or a steepening curve? So it's interesting. I mean, we know why the yield curve was flattening, right? There was some artificial suppression on the back end of the yield curve. What's happening, though, now is basically with the recent steepening of the yield curve over the last two days or so is investors are kind of looking at that, particularly bond investors are saying that this tax reform is going to be more effective on the demand side of the economy. It's going to create more inflationary pressures, not necessarily on the supply side, because, again, if it was to be more beneficial on the supply side, more investment to lead higher productivity, that changes our U.S. potential GDP long run estimate. But again, that can actually shift or keep inflation muted, keeps the Fed in bay. So I think more of the recent reaction over the last two days or so has said, we're getting tax reform. It's going to affect the demand side. We're going to get inflation. Let's adjust interest rates to that. And so, Terry, you guys are global investors. That, that paints a nice picture for the U.S. And, you know, but in terms of allocations, there's, there's some arguments out there that this is going to be at the expense uh, of investing in Europe. And, and obviously, there's an impact on interest rates all the way through the chain. Where do you guys line up now? Globally. Yeah, so I would say you know, the debate about kind of a lot of nations across the globe had already been keeping their corporate taxes a little bit low. So you can make the argument that the United States is kind of just getting in line with kind of what the rest of the globe is doing. But I tell you, we are still overweight international opportunities. So you look at Europe, you look at Japan, emerging markets up over about 34% year to date. We still think international is opportunity because that's where we still think the global growth cycle is rotating to. And so we want to have leverage to that trade there. Are you overweight international over U.S.? Yes, we are still overweight international. We have our U.S. positions. We're neutral U.S., so we're not kind of buying into it. We're not selling out of it. But we're just kind of holding our levels right here in the okay. portfolio. I'm going to play Would You Rather here with you, Love Terry, because we, we play here on the desk all the time. Yeah, sure, we do. Beautiful oh, Fresh Money Tour. That's a big compliment, by the way. It is. is you're, like, you're an honorary <laughs> member of this desk. Part of the team. Fresh Money to work today. Would you rather technology, which we were debating, may be negatively impacted by tax, or banks? Great question. So we still think this economic expansion has room to run, and we haven't seen a lot of loan growth. Now, the loan growth was strong at the kind of the early part of this recovery, hopefully with some deregulation that can actually allow the major banks, you look at top eight or top 25, what have you, across the United States, 
to potentially do more lending into the real economy. If we see some more demand out there, that could be very beneficial for the banks. You know, we like the tech story structurally in the long run, but I think if you're looking for kind of a value-oriented play at this stage of the cycle, you want to look at financials, even again with that kind of recent three-month rally that we've had. So banks is the answer. <laughs> Thanks for playing along, Terry. Good to see you. <laughs> Terry Simpson of BlackRock. That's called Melissa coaching through the game. I mean, sometimes, well, you, sometimes know, you bury the lead. You know, you got to come out there strong. Pete. Same question to you, yeah. actually. If, if, if I have banks to pick one yes, or the exactly. other and I'm New trying money. to play yeah, the game, exactly. banks for sure. Because I agree with Terry, Terry and okay. I think the loan growth story is just something that in the future we'll see more and more and more of it. Jamie Dimon talks about it all the time. Every time we wait on the, the earnings from the banks, that's what we're looking for. Are we seeing that loan growth? They have growth in other areas, but loan growth, are we seeing it? So I take the banks. What did you do today, Quick? Uh, you know what? I've been getting longer European banks. Mm -hmm. EUFN is a way you can do that. And to me, the ECB in a couple weeks is going to start pulling back on some of their bond buying rates. They're going higher there. There's more leverage in the European banks than the U.S. banks. All right, coming up, Stitch Fix sinking after its very first earnings report as a publicly traded company. The hot IPO had been soaring since its debut last month. So what went wrong? We've got the details next. Plus, short seller Andrew Left of Citron is targeting one crypto stock. He is calling a crypto scam. He will tell us why he says Riot Blockchain is making fraudulent claims to investors. And later, forget about Bitcoin, forget about Litecoin. Tim Seymour says there is one cryptocurrency he just bought that he thinks will be the next big winner in the space. The name went fast crypto. I mean, Fast oh, money oh, 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 <laughs> returns. Oh. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Stitch Fix, the company's first report since going public just last month. Courtney Reagan's got all the details. Court. Hi there, Melissa. So investors disappointed with Stitch Fix's first report as a public company. Shares down pretty sharply here after hours, but we should note they're up about 63% since going public in mid-November. Right now, shares down by almost 11%. Now, earnings aren't comparable to analyst consensus, and the revaluing of preferred stock options is making up most of the profits that was reported, so that's kind of a low-quality print. The revenue did change only slightly, up a little bit from the guidance that Stitch Fix gave investors in the S1, which was just about six weeks ago. And we should note that that revenue is up 25% in a year. Now, Stitch Fix also has 2.4 million active clients. That's up 30% over last year. Again, though, Stitch Fix actually told us that earlier this fall, so we didn't get any new information there. And then when it comes to guidance, revenue guidance for the second quarter is above analyst estimates. Full year revenue also slightly above consensus. The e-commerce box stylist does note that the gross margin will decline near term as it invests in new categories, but says growth is continuing there with men's and its plus consumers categories. Shrinkage, though, also hit gross margins in the quarter. And shrinkage in retail, of course, is the cost of inventory that can't be sold because of damage or loss. So founder and CEO Katrina Lake working on some different strategies to improve that. And she'll be on tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. So we'll be able to ask her all that and a little bit more. Right now the call's ongoing, but because it's the first time that the company has held an earnings call, they're spending some time going through the business model before answering any questions. Haven't gotten there yet. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Court, thanks. Courtney Reagan back at headquarters here. Is this a case of um, investors taking profits after a pretty big run since I think uh, the most important thing is that it had a re like a 10% reversal intraday into the event. And like Courtney said, it's 
up 63%. I think a lot of people thought that this was going to be a blue apron sort of thing. I think the quarter was probably just fine. There's a company growing sales, 20% growing users, 30%, and they're new to the category. So to me, pretty interesting. That being said, can we pan over to Guy over here? Look what's going on. If there was ever a guy that you guys should get on your Stitch Fix thing, look at how he's dressed. Circa I like 1996. I mean, we need a Stitch Fix box for this guy. Cuffs. That. And cuffs, maybe pleated we'll pants, you know, we patterns I mean, you didn't even bring up the guys, shrinkage. Yesterday <laughs> was his birthday. Did you guys know that, Fast Money viewers? It was his birthday yesterday. Maybe we can we all can get, get together and get a Stitch Fix box for Guy Adami. Yeah. Let's clothe this guy. Yeah. Circa 2017, please. Jeez. Okay. One last thing on Stitch. Quick, 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 my, my, quick. My thought on Stitch real quick is this. Here's the issue. They feel a little bit like Snap. Why do I say that? Because it, despite the fact that they have growth, it's decelerating at a rapid pace. Uh-oh. That's an issue. That comparison's not a friendly one. No, it's not. Yeah. These numbers yeah. weren't new. Still ahead, forget about Bitcoin. Tim Seymour here has got another cryptocurrency he says is going to crush the competition. He'll tell us what it is and why he's so excited. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. It just might be the shoes, because a number of sneaker stocks are surging. And we'll tell you which one the traders think you can still buy. Plus, it's not justified, it seems in. If you think the crypto scam long finished shady, just wait till you hear what short seller Andrew Left has to say about Riot Blockchain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The crypto craze continues with a number of lesser-known names surging in recent weeks thanks to the mania. But as we've said on this show, it looks like the SEC might be cluing into the fact that not all is as it seems to be with these companies. Dom Chu's back at headquarters to break it all down. Hi, Dom. Well, Melissa, you can think of it as a reality check for those who think it's just easy money when it comes to trafficking in crypto-related stocks. Earlier this morning, the SEC took that big step in temporarily suspending trading for shares in the crypto company, that ticker CRCW, not just for an hour or a day, but from today until January 3rd for what regulators say are concerns about the accuracy and adequacy of information in the marketplace about the company, including questions concerning potentially manipulative stock transactions in the stock the last month. We're talking about stock that was, remember, $3 and change at the end of September and then rocketed to as high as 642 bucks earlier this month. It's currently suspended from trading at $575, making it worth almost $12 billion total. All of this is happening on average daily volume of just over 5,000 shares in the past two weeks. It was a red flag. Now, another stock that raised eyebrows is Longfin because of its own parabolic move higher after buying a small cryptocurrency lending operation called Zidu. Unlike crypto company, Longfin is actually listed on the NASDAQ as part of one of its lower tiers for smaller companies. And in other small cap crypto related stock news, Riot Blockchain, formerly known as Bioptics, which was a micro cap biotech company, it just announced a fundraising of its own. Rather than selling stock in the open market, it conducted a private placement of restricted stock units and then warrants as well. All of this is sold to accredited investors. It raised around $37 million. But the bottom line is this. Regulators are now scrutinizing this part of the market even more because they can, unlike with straight Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies themselves, which they cannot regulate. But, Melissa, traders have to own the ultimate responsibility themselves. The bottom line is be careful. Back over to you. Absolutely. Don, thank you. Dom Chu back in the newsroom. Well, yesterday we had the CEO of one of those companies, Longfin. He was on our show to defend his business. Even he admitted that things had gotten a little out of hand. Here's what he said. This, this 
market cap is not justified. Because if you look at my revenues, if I look at even, I valued my IPO pricing, look at it. I am a genuinely, I'm telling you, I valued my IPO pricing at what, $5? $5. dollars $300 million, five times of my revenue. Now, we reached out also to Riot Blockchain, but the company turned down our invitation to appear on this show. This after they seemed ready to accept an invitation yesterday. Spokesperson Karen Chase said, quote, no one at the company has been able to get in touch with the CEO. Now, you may be asking why we are spending so much time on stocks like Riot Blockchain and Longfin. Well, the answer is simple. Many retail traders at home have been in and out of these names. They're also among the most popular at the moment, but also among the more dangerous ones. Um, this is a classic case of buyer beware. It doesn't matter what industry it is. Know what you're buying. Well, know what you're buying. And, and in many cases, a company that's transformed itself overnight to, to now seemingly capitalize seems like, you know, the obvious choice of what to avoid, especially when you look at the market cap. Some of these are, are, are micro cap stocks that suddenly went into the stratosphere. The, look, I've said this a couple of times. You want to play Bitcoin in a lot of different ways or crypto, I should say, um, whether you want to invest directly in tokens or platforms. That's one thing. Or developing, you know, a, an investment strategy. So you get the picks and the shovels uh, and are not mining. Um, interactive brokers, uh, although we've talked about that, and I know they would not come out here and tell you this. I mean, there are ways to actually be involved or CME. Um, these are at least names that I think people can look at that to right. me are legitimate names. Yeah. Now, Riot, you see it there actually going across your crawl at the bottom of the screen. It is a very actively traded name, which is why we're talking about it. But this is a company just two months ago. It wasn't Riot Blockchain. No, it was, it was Bioptics. It was a, yeah, it was a completely different stock. company. Brian Kelly did a great job right. breaking it down. And I think the next day the stock traded down 15 or 20 percent. Now it's right back up. What's a, Now, here's a company, though, and Steve Grosser, you got to give kudos to him because he was talking about Overstock when I think it had mm -hmm. a 30 handle, give or take. Look at the way Overstock traded today. The day after they issued their coin, traded about two and a half times normal volume, made an all-time high, reversed Closed lower on the day. Now, if you're looking for an exit point, not to suggest that Overstock can't continue this meteoric rise. I know Morgan Stanley made an investment in them. But the price action today suggests, to me at least, it might be time to take some money off the table No OSTK. Um, now, a lot of uh, people out there are getting short some of these stocks. Short seller Andrew Left, founder of Citron Research, is the man, remember, who called the fraud at Valiant. He's now taking on Riot Blockchain. We invited the CEO to appear alongside Left, the CEO, as you heard has gone radio silent. But Andrew Left is here on the show. Andrew, welcome. Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. Um, we've sort of outlined the case, uh, the concerns in general about Riot Blockchain, which until two months ago was apparently a company called Bioptics in the animal health services business. What's your number one uh, reason behind your short here? I mean, it's amazing. So what Riot Blockchain has done is taken the path of least resistance to the market to make money. Even worse than these ICOs that you see present in white papers, they, they have a, a few small investments, just enough to go ahead and put it public, and they roll it out, and with enough promotion, and obviously with the hype behind crypto and the lack of assets, there it goes. The whole time really misrepresenting the fact that nothing that they have is real uh, as a real player in the crypto industry. They have a small investment in uh, its coin square. I think it might be right now like the number 200 trader of Bitcoin, a real insignificant investment. So uh, you shouldn't be surprised uh, out of Boca Raton, Florida, uh, buy some assets in Canada, uh, do the normal shuffle, and there goes the stock. And then I was thinking when I was over here, why am I even coming on the show? Why would I not just short it, let people buy it, look at the volume today, because we know what's going to happen. There's nothing there.
It, do you, is, your, is it your contention that there's actual fraud going on at this company or that it's simply overstating its relationship to blockchain and Bitcoin? No, I, I don't think there's... First of all, in order for there to be fraud, you have to have operating. You need profits and revenues. You need things that happen like that to be fraud. If you want to talk about people front-running the stock before they make announcements, I'm sure you could look at that. But there's no operations to have fraud, to have that operations. This is the consolidation of a bunch of ideas put onto paper with smart promotions involved, uh, a lot of media press, and look at the volume you get. Amazing. And, you know, actually, to their credit, they actually went out there and raised money today at $22. And, uh, and with these options also, and I think if you apply a black skulls theory, I mean, I, I think it takes it down below $10 where they raise the money. But I, I should just sit and short them and not say a word and let the 30 million shares buy them. You already got short, right, Andrew? So at what level did you get short? And how big, how big of a conviction, i.e., how big is your conviction behind the short? Oh, high conviction. I think all of these shorts, there's not enough of them out there. That's the problem right now. If, if you want to short something that's crypto-related and you don't want to be short Bitcoin necessarily. I'm also short the GBTC, GBTC the Bitcoin Investment Trust, which is trading at a 90% premium to their net asset value underneath it. If you're a short seller right now and you're cautious and you want to short something that's related to Bitcoin and not Bitcoin, you have limited opportunities, but they're nice and juicy, and Riot's one of them right now. And you came on the show and you outlined why you were shorting GBTC. As I recall, though, GBTC was at a lower level at that time, so it's moved against you, if I recall. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and okay, where did when, you get when, in when, on, when, on Riot? I'm just trying to figure out because okay. you can be right I, on I a short, but the market momentum can take you still the other way just because the mania around oh. blockchain is there. <laughs> Absolutely no doubt. When I was first short GBTC, it was around 1,000. And I was short because the net asset value was at 100%. It went within a small amount of time to around 40% I covered. I'm now short GBTC when the net asset value got to around 60%, and right now it's at 90%. So right now, I am underwater on that particular trade. I normally don't discuss it, but the reason why I do is because everyone's so fascinated with Bitcoin. And then when you heard Bitcoin futures are coming online, it's amazing that a product like GBTC trades more volume than both futures combined, CME and CBOE, yet it's an 85 to 90 percent premium to net asset value. Right. It is so ridiculous. It only shows that investors uh, are not buying anything except something they think might go in, higher. In terms of riot, though, Andrew, where did you get in on the short? And is, has it been working in your favor? Because the stock chart looks like it's just been going from the lower left to the upper right. Well, yeah, I w I've been trading around Riot, and uh, I got back in yesterday. Uh, Are you short yesterday. Long No, couldn't get a borrow. Couldn't get a borrow. Difficult couldn't. to get a borrow for Riot, too, isn't it? Uh, Riot has options. Oh, so you're uh, short through options. Okay. Don't, I, I, I normally don't like to discuss <laughs> trading. I want to make but I, we, I want to make one thing clear. <laughs> I know. Tell us how I, you're I like shorting it. We'd love to know. I don't like to discuss because we, we get my that question all the trading. time, Andrew. That the float is so small you can't get a bar on the stock. How is Andrew Leftercitron you know shorting the stock? I actually think that's the problem with the GBTC. I'm short GBTC, and I think if other people were able to get borrows, it would be down 1,000 points tomorrow because it's probably the most ridiculous traded Bitcoin instrument out there. So that's probably the issue I have with that is that other people can't short it, but that's okay. I'll stay short, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, 
trade proper enough to hold my positions through these times. So that's okay. Any other um, shorts look juicy well, you know, in, in, in your yeah, view? I, I, one thing has to be made clear. Sure. When I, I watch your show, I watch CNBC all the time, and I keep hearing the relation of this to the dot-com bubble. This is not the dot-com bubble whatsoever. I traded that bubble. At the time, people bought computers. They loved their computers. They loved the Internet. They went ahead. They bought the stocks. The only thing that's driving this higher is price alone. No one is sitting at home saying Bitcoin, Ethereum. I don't know what Tim's suggestion is for his cryptocurrency, but I guarantee whatever it is, it's not changing anyone's life. You sat down, and when you use the Internet, you got your stock quotes, your corporate reports, things you never imagined, travel, communications. It was transformative. This is not the dot-com bubble. People who are buying this are buying it for one reason right now, because it's going higher. Doesn't mean it's not going to go higher, but that's why people are owning it. Hey, Andrew, this is Pete Jerry. Quick question. You talk about, uh, and at least inferred the options of the way you're trying to short something like Riot. The market width of what I'm looking at on those, because I've looked at this myself, is extremely wide. Are you just willing to say, you know what, I don't care how wide those markets are, the bid and the ash spread, I just would like to be shorted? Is that the way you've determined how you want to do this? I mean, if I want to be shorted, I, you could always sell, you know, you could buy uh, deep in the money put, you could sell a deep in the money call. But I'm just saying that the so, bid-ask I mean, bid spread is not so wide that it bothers you or it pushes no. you away, clearly, right? Not if it's deep in the money. What does it okay. make a difference? Right. I, I mean, if you. you're selling something, temp if, if I think Riot, they just sold stock at $22.50. I think Riot goes under $20. So why would I not sell a $25 call? I could sell it for $25 call if it's at $37 for $12 in near month. So. Yeah. You know, Andrew, we touched on this briefly before, but there is a difference between having a position on a stock and, and it possibly being the right one on a fundamental basis and the stock market taking that stock where it's going to take it. How long do you think it'll take for the market to actually realize, hey, you know what, this Riot blockchain, it was Bioptics just two months ago, and maybe there is no blockchain business? Yeah, I, well, I think Riot, to be honest, I think Riot's an easy one. I think Riot will go down pretty fast. To uh, what? Won't take What's the your target? That long. I mean, the, the, the management's not very sophisticated. I would have loved it if the CEO was on TV with me. I don't think Where do you see this going? Is it going to go in half? I mean, is it... Oh, it'll go in half. It'll, where, where, where was it two weeks ago? $15? $16? Mm -hmm. It's no different company than it was two weeks ago. What's the difference now? Uh, you know what? I actually did, I did a sum of the parts analysis, and uh, I can't put it up on your screen. And I, giving them Why the not? benefit of the what doubt. What is it? <laughs> well, it's, it's on my computer. I'm not going to hold it up like that. All right, all right, but giving, but them what, the what is it? giving them the benefit of the doubt on all of their businesses, uh -huh. even though their investments on everything, I had around $9. Nine dollars. Uh, some of the parts. And that's being very generous. That's, that's based on the generous. Bitcoin operations, Verity, CoinSquare, TestPay, and whatever right royalty here. payments they Coinsquare, get from their other crypto, bio business. Other, right. other investments, royalty payments, Got everything. It. Yeah, All nine right. dollars. Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Andrew, Have a nice holiday. Of Citron, you too. What do we think here? Well, I, I, look, good for Andrew for getting in there and, and acting on what's fundamentally, I think, absolutely dead on. Um, it's very difficult to play this. It's very difficult to get this borrow. And as I think you're going to see with some of these names, they're going to ultimately have to fizzle out. Dan? Yeah, so um, I would say that a couple really important points. Pete, you asked about options. Would he say he's selling options? Do not be buying options in a name like this because the borrow is so hard. The put premium is really fat, and that's a really easy way to get the direction right and then get the trade wrong. Mm. All right. 
still ahead. FedEx rallying to an all-time high in the after-hour session. The conference calls underway. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, Tim Seymour here, one of our biggest crypto skeptics, suddenly flipping the coin, literally diving head first into the space. We'll find out what he is buying and why he has changed his tune. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. FedEx rallying to an all-time high in the after-hour session. The conference call's underway. Morgan Brennan's in the newsroom with more. Hi, Morgan. Hey, Melissa. That's right. So that call's still underway, but FedEx posting a beat and a raise and saying it's on track for another record holiday shipping season. But perhaps the biggest news, the tailwind, and it is a tailwind, that it expects from the tax bill making its way through Congress right now. Earnings for fiscal 2018 forecast expected to be up to $13.13 per share. But if tax reform happens, FedEx saying that would add another $4.40 to $5.50 per share adjusted to that outlook. And for FedEx, which is paying a roughly 34% rate, the fiscal 2018 year is already halfway done. So on the call, Chairman and CEO Fred Smith saying the legislation will power economy, increase business investment, expand job, job opportunities, and enhance incomes. And CFO Alan Graff expanding on that sentiment even further. U.S. GDP could increase materially next year as a result of U.S. tax reform. If this occurs, we would likely increase capital expenditures and hiring to accommodate the additional volumes triggered from this incremental GDP growth. Graph saying uses of cash from tax savings would include optimizing CapEx, funding pension plans beyond current forecast, increasing the dividend as the board approves more share repurchases, and also investing in M&A where it makes sense. Other topics on the call, which is still underway, lingering financial impact from the cyber attack that crippled Europe-based TNT Express over the summer. The company says it's accelerating the integration of that business now. And more on peak season, all the prep and strong service levels with executives saying so far they're happy with how the peak holiday season is going. Melissa, back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Morgan Brennan. That is a big boost to its 2018 outlook from tax. FedEx Express is more than half of the business, right? I think it's probably 60 percent of the revenues. Operating margins were 8.7% better than last year. As a matter of fact, operating margins across the board are better. They have a 20% EPS growth rate, give or take. Trades at a discount to UPS is a better company than UPS and should trade at least on par with UPS in terms of valuation. What does that mean, Guy? I'm glad you asked, Mel. It means what I think does the that mean, Guy? Go higher. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's a stock, it's a stock that, that has been just chugging along. I mean, it's doubled in two years, um, but the ground margins are better for the first time in four quarters. Uh, the TNT uh, acquisition now looks genius in hindsight. Um, so these guys really, in the, in the current environment, it's about a GDP call, and analysts will react to that. That is something that will get it moving higher. So UPS, in terms of deliveries, they're strapped. FedEx is looking pretty good here, yep. too. What does that tell us about the holiday season? Right. It says a lot. It, it says a lot. Like I Amazon. own UPS. Uh, so I, I disagree with Guy in terms of his analysis of one over the other. But but I do understand the multiple's a little bit higher. Is FedEx run better? Some, some holiday seasons they are, some they're not. So for UPS, uh, that's why I'm still in that name. But when I heard the margin numbers, that actually surprised me because that was the one area where they thought, you know what? Margins are going to be crushed down a little bit, and that was going to be the effect. It wasn't, and that's why this stock looks so good. All-time high for FedEx, all-time high for Transports. Does this tell us anything about uh, whether Amazon is crushing it this holiday season? Uh, they, they likely are crushing it. I mean, we know that they have, and they've actually suffered on profitability in that Q4 because they want market share. That's Amazon. So, listen, Amazon's just a couple percent from those all-time highs. I don't think there's any reason to give up on that trade between now and the end of the year. Real quick, uh, nice play on this is international paper. They make one-third of every boxes that are shipped in this country. 
All right, coming up, Tim here. Just bought his very first cryptocurrency. Oh, very first cryptocurrency. Okay. So which one did he buy? That's what it sounded like, but it's serious business. Why did he do it? Which one did he buy? We will find out. Plus, sneaker socks kicking into high gear recently, and the traders are betting that one of those names is about to run even higher when it reports earnings later this week. We've got all the details. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the sneaker stocks racing higher in the past oh, month. Nice. Get that racing yeah. higher. Okay. With finish line leading the pack, surging 21%. Under Armour closely behind up 18%. Foot Locker higher by 13%. And last but not least, Nike with quite the rally into year end up eight, uh, 9%. But with most of these names still down on the year, is now the time to race into sneaker stocks, and if so, which name is worth a buy, Pete? Well, you know, one of my favorite names is Benedictus over the years, but actually, I think last quarter when we watched what happened with Nike and you saw the growth they had internationally, that's what triggered for me as the opportunity because that stock got sold off because of the North American sales were down. They're down, I think, 3%, but you look at where they're growing internationally, whether it's in South America or Europe or over in China, that growth is off the charts for a mature company like Nike. So I still think that there's upside in there. And because of that, and you look at their direct to the consumer, that's been a growth spot. We talk about it all the time. Bricks and mortar, whatever you want to be, everybody has to have an e-commerce sort of a, a side to who they are. And that's something that's growing very rapidly, particularly in the international, international markets right now for Nike. And again, this is a tax play. I mean, I think a catalyst for Nike actually is are yeah. their, their fiscal Q2 numbers that are on December 21st. I'm long the stock, and, and at $64, $65, you're right up at the top of that range that it's actually traded off of uh, the futures numbers, the China numbers. I, I wouldn't go near the finish lines after those moves. I don't think you need to be there. Well, Nike is set to report earnings after the bell this Thursday. The options market's implying some pretty big moves. So, Dan, what are you seeing? Yeah, so the options market is implying a 5% direction uh, on Friday afternoon. Um, it's been about a 5% mover over the last four quarters. Um, call volume today was about three and a half times that of puts. And there seemed to be a buyer of the December weekly uh, 66 calls, 5,000 of those things traded. They were the most active there. Look at the two charts we have. That's the one year. Obviously, Guy had been calling that 50. You had been calling that 50 support. It broke through that 60, and it's kept on going. We have a five-year here, which has that all-time high from about a year and a half ago. Obviously, 69-ish looks like some resistance there. But, you know, 66 calls, the weeklies, paying about a buck for those. Looks like a decent way to play for a move back towards the highs. If it's a beaten raise, it's going through that. Prior high. I think Pedro power pitched this thing a while ago. Oh, yeah. and we mm -hmm. talked about holding 50 a yeah. number of times. This is what Swizzle thinks is going to happen on earnings on the 21st after the bell. We rally up to that level that Dan says. I think you sell it there and take profits significantly lower. Wow. Yeah. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, it is the moment we have all been waiting for. Tim Seymour will reveal which cryptocurrency he just bought. Find out right after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Drum roll, please. While everyone was jumping on the Bitcoin bandwagon, Tim was adding a different cryptocurrency to his portfolio. So let's find out what it is. Tim, what'd you add? Added Ethereum. There you go, Mel. There you go, everybody. And, and look, this this is the dawning of the age. <laughs> All right. 
Ethereum. <laughs> okay, so I mean, there's 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 a couple reasons for doing this, and and really this this gets into my approach as a trader, also as an emerging markets guy. You can make a lot of arguments that that trading in cryptocurrencies and the platforms is is the brave new world of emerging markets. I've been there before, but ultimately, look, my, my view ten days ago was that when, as we were getting into the 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 Bitcoin contract mania and the futures that were coming out, well, what's next? What are the three main tokens that are that are traded on on Coinbase? And Bitcoin is the largest. It's now over eighty billion. It's just a matter of time, folks. So to me, if, if, if futures were a driver for Bitcoin, they are a driver for Ethereum. And again, there's a very big difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Ethereum is an open-ended platform. Uh, it's, it has a, you know, you can make an argument that there's an unlimited supply, but it's an advancement on the technology. And, and ultimately, as you think about it as a trader, uh, it is the largest place to get the next round of trade flows. So as we talked about, this was a $2 billion market cap back in July. It's now an $80 billion market cap. And this is where we are. So if we look at the chart here, this is what I'm talking about. We've actually moved, and this is in August, and we moved and we kind of went sideways along the road. As we started to get into the mania of Bitcoin, really to me, my view was, hey, this is a relative value play, even though I don't think anyone really knows how they're valuing these things. I said, Bitcoin's had its run. I want to buy in here, bought some here, bought some in here. Frankly, I'm not sure where we go. And at some point, really, there, there is an argument that a trader needs to take some profits. Anyone who's taken profits to this point has been disappointed, but that's been my call on Ethereum. Hey, Tim, you're an investor first. You're a trader. This obviously fits into the trade category. How do you think about this for our viewers at home? I mean, is this just another stock that they're going to size appropriately as a trade? Is that how you think about it? I, look, I, I think for many folks, this is a fear of missing out. You and I have talked about this. I don't think people really know how they're valuing it, how they should size it. Absolutely is going to be based upon what they think that they have that is discretionary in terms of their investment portfolio. I, I'm guessing this should be somewhere from 2 to 5%, probably lower than that. Uh, and in fact, as some of these uh, investments have gone stratospheric, a lot of people have a much bigger part of their net worth there. I think it's not a bad time to pare back. There are those that have changed their lives over overnight. I don't think that's going to be you at home. Therefore, that's how I would trade it. Two to five percent of your entire portfolio or two to five percent of your uh, of, of your portfolio, and that portfolio? which is devoted towards uh, flow trading and, and higher risk investments. Mm -hmm. All right. Tim, thanks. Tim bought Ethereum. Yes, Age did. of Ethereum. <laughs> Up next, final <laughs> trades. Time for the final trade, Pete. Still all those financials, Bank of America. It's going through 30. Get him. Pete loves the financials. I like the European financials. Trade them with the ETF EUFN. Danny. Uh, yeah, so while Tim was buying Ethereum today, it looks like I sold some to you, buddy. Uh, oh, nice. But I'm having a little fun here. I have to really nice. Buy it today. Okay, I just, just want to be clear. Ten days ago, pal. Okay, yeah, fine. man. Real oh, listen, listen up. What show you Ten watching? Ten days ago. Ten days ago. Yeah. You know, tis the season. What do you see? Like, you know, people wait, wait, wait. Out there. You know what yesterday was? His Your birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right. I'm the sell off. Melissa Lee, thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow again at 5 for more fast. Meantime, Matt Money with the one and only Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.